Hello, and welcome to episode two of season two of Staying Sharp. Today's guest is John Hajar, head equipment manager for the Connecticut Hammerheads of Major League Lacrosse. We talked about John's experience in the MLL bubble and how sports can continue without a bubble. Let's get into our conversation with John. Thanks for having me on. I've been, uh, it's been in the works for a really long time. Glad we could finally make it happen. <laughs> so, John, so um, before we get into what you do, just give me a little background about, you know, uh, your, your journey in equipment and then how you ultimately ended up with the uh, Hammerheads. All right, we could take it all the way back to, I guess. Yeah, we'll take it all the way summer, back. Summer of 2018, uh, applying, you know, applying to my schools, found out I got into Temple. And uh, I had a buddy that I had played baseball with, you know, back home for, you know, all middle school into high school. And he had actually been a student manager for the football team at Temple. And at the time, when I was in high school, I was like, uh, you know, just kind of being a, the manager of our varsity basketball team which is not really I don't think managing is the right word you're kind of just like sitting on the end of the bench getting free tickets to all the games and stuff like that you don't really do much um but so I was like hey you know I'm a manager for my basketball team like do you think I could be a manager for the football team he's like yeah sure like you know it's always all hands on deck you know you can never have too many people um so I had you know everything was all lined up I had moved in to my dorm at Temple. I think it was like a Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon and Thursday morning at 6 a.m. You know, right after I moved in, I was at football practice, you know, working and made it all the way here. Got uh, promoted to head student at the end of the 2018, 2018, 2019 season and worked my second full season with Temple this past season. And then um, one of the assistant, I guess you could, we could call him an assistant court manager who was really more of a help on, on game days um, who would assist mainly in the coach communication headsets in the press box on field. I had been working um, on, you know, alongside with him the entire season because he had a higher, more prominent, equipment job with uh, USA lacrosse and USA lacrosse had their world games in Vancouver two weeks in the fall. And I had to, you know, learn all the coach communication stuff so I could, you know, run it while he was in Vancouver. And, you know, we started, you know, talking more a lot about lacrosse and all these things. And uh, one day I was sitting in class, I think maybe February and uh, just scrolling through Twitter saw, you know, one of the local newspapers here in Connecticut uh, post an article about um, Major League Lacrosse adding a new franchise, which would be located here in Connecticut. So I reached out um, to Foxy, the guy I had worked with at Temple, because since he's so, he's very prominent in lacrosse, you know, know, everybody knows him, he knows everybody. And I said, hey, did you hear about this new uh, lacrosse team? Blah, blah, blah. He said, yeah, I worked with the head coach. Or I not sorry, not working head coach. He knew of the head coach from his time when he worked with the Boston team. Let me give him a call. And at first, I was like, oh, "What is he calling him about?" You know, uh, let's see, let's see where this goes. He calls me back about ten minutes later. He's like, "You know, send me your resume. I'll send it to him." And I'm thinking, "What did I just get myself into?" All I wanted to do was ask the guy if he knew uh, knew anything about this new franchise. 
And, um, you know, next thing happens, next thing you know, um, I'm in London for spring break and I'm getting a phone call in the middle of the night because of the time difference. And it's the director of operations for the Connecticut team. And he's calling me and he's like, Hey, is there any chance, you know, like you could set up a call just to talk about, you know, potentially being an equipment manager, blah, blah. And I remember I said, uh, can I call you on Monday? Like I'm in London right now. It's the middle of the night. Uh, I don't know if this is the best time. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And, and we hang up and I'm like, what the heck was that? At first, I didn't know if it was like a prank call or if he thought that he had the wrong number because I said it was the middle of the night and it like was probably 7 p.m. And, uh, uh, back here in the States. And uh, I get back to Philly. I call him, you know, great conversation. Uh, Fox, he came up a lot, um, you know, just saying that, uh, you know, having that sort of connection to him will just take you so far in the lacrosse world. Um, then the operations guy was like, you know, I want you, you know, you check all my boxes, but it comes down to the head coach um, for the final say on hiring him to your staff. So um, it took me a while to get in contact with the head coach, uh, probably about a month or so uh, to finally have a phone call with him. And when he called me, I was in a Zoom class and totally missed the call. He left me a voicemail and I was like, oh my God, I just you know, missed my moment because I was in the math class. And I call him back, he doesn't answer. I was like, oh no, oh no. And I call back again, he doesn't answer. I'm like, all right, I'll leave him a voicemail, whatever. Left him a voicemail. And he finally came back and we chatted for about an hour just, you know, about, you know, life and, and lacrosse, what I, what I knew about lacrosse, what I didn't know about lacrosse, what I knew about equipment, just in a, from a managing standpoint and just from a experience standpoint. And, um, you know, everything worked out pretty well. I was getting all prepared. I was sending texts, you know, to all the players, just introducing myself, telling them to, you know, reach out to me. If you need any equipment stuff. And uh, then and all this time, you know, nobody knew what the status of the season was going to be. I didn't know if I was going to actually get to work. I didn't know if they were going to furlough and just say, hey, you know, equipment isn't really one of, this, one of the positions we really need to worry about if we want to get a season across and all this thing. You know, nobody really knew. I didn't really know. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to go into that bubble and work. Um, and yeah, that's where we are. I mean, it was, uh, definitely a journey to get from you know, that summer in 2018 after high school, not really knowing what I was going to do to, uh, to where we are right now. Yeah, no, great story. Inspiring, inspiring for all kids that want to be managers around the, around the globe. But, um, for you as a 20 year old student, uh, your only real, you know, hands-on managerial experiences with football as a student manager for two years. Uh, and now you're thrown into the fire with your first full-time gig being in a sport. You have no idea what you're doing. So kind of just before we even, you know, talk about the bubble, just kind of how did you familiarize yourself with a brand new sport uh, in the time from when you, you know, spoke to the head coach and found out that you got the job until you were literally in Annapolis in the bubble. So, you know, to be honest, I was like frightened because at first during all the, just the, the text exchange with the director of operations and, and, you know, a couple phone calls we had, I didn't know if they were hiring me to be an intern or, or an assistant to the other, to, to the, to the head. Um, if I was just kind of be a game day only type of thing, 
I had no idea because I didn't think that they would actually hire a 20 year old to be the head equipment manager, you know? So I was very, I would say stressed might've been the word. I was just a little anxious to kind of start working just because every day of not, every day of having all these unknowns in the back of your mind of what could go very, very wrong, just really starts to weigh on you. And, um, you know, I kind of sat back and I said, um, it's not really about the actual equipment that was, you know, worrying me, like the equipment itself was more of just being tossed in different scenarios, different management scenarios. Um, you know, the big thing that that's worried me was that if we, if we had had a regular season where it was, you know, 12 weeks long traveling city to city, um, every week, that's what really the traveling part was really what, what worried me a lot because we don't, you know, we don't charter. It's all the, all the players come from their hometowns. They fly out on Friday morning. They arrive in the, in the city of the game. They go to the hotel, they play the game Saturday morning and they fly right back to their hometown, go to, go to their, you know, nine to five day job and do it all again next week. So that whole sort of idea of a guy losing his, all of his equipment traveling week to week, you know, you have 40 guys on a roster. I guarantee that of those 40 guys, you're probably flying in from 25 different airports to Connecticut. Um, so just the thought of lost bags, lost sticks, you know, all these different things were just circling my head for the two months waiting to hear about the status of the season. And um, I think it was, a, it was a real, it was a blessing and a curse to have the season in a bubble. Obviously you want to have your fans here, you know, Fairfield County in Connecticut, where, we're, where we would have been playing, I think is one of the, um, you know, richest lacrosse. Um, and I mean, I don't mean rich in like wealth. I mean, rich in like po population and culture. Um, of lacrosse and I see kids just playing lacrosse in parks walking friends houses with sticks in their hands stuff like that I think so you know losing that ability to play in front of fans and play in your home stadium you know obviously that that stinks but for me who was so stressed out about all, all the traveling all the moving of equipment from city to city every week to, to eliminate all that and be in one hotel and one stadium for five days or five games in 11 days it took such a load off my shoulders and it really let me just you know do what I knew best what I was taught to do you know all the different ways I was taught to manage all the different ways I was taught to inventory and distribute I was finally able to do that without you know those stressful thoughts that, that have been in the back of my mind since the end of February um just to get those totally out of the window and I didn't worry about it so um I mean my experience from football it, it helped me like I said, not because of the equipment knowledge that I have, but more of just, you know, the managerial stuff that I learned and that, you know, all that comes from the two bosses that I worked with, you know, in my two years at Temple, um, you know, them giving us the responsibility to have to make some of these decisions on our own to then have a successful practice, successful week, game, you know, season every day, you know, everything changes. So, you know, the big thing for me that, that really worried me was not the, the lack of equipment knowledge, but more of just the lack of management 
preparation and, and scenario awareness and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and jumping into a situation like that that quickly uh, can stress people out. Like you said, it is it is stressful, even though that you said that wasn't really the word you wanted to use. But I I totally agree. Um, jumping into a job during a pandemic is never ideal. That's kind exactly. of the the motto right exactly. now. But I think uh, uh, so. Brian and I talked about you know bubbles of the big major sports last week, like the uh, MLB's lack of a bubble and the NBA's uh, great use of one, I think I kind of want to change this topic over that you already begun talking about, you know, what what you've been up to and how you've been treating um, the MLL bubble or how you treated that. Um, Do you want to talk, I guess this next topic we'll go into, do you want to talk about the the MLL's experience itself with the bubble and less about you know your personal experience because I'm just curious um, with a with a not super major sport um, you know majorly televised I guess we'll put it that way but mm-hmm. how that how that ended up working out yeah um, you know obviously it's hard in you know whatever level of sport um, you're you know what of notoriety to to be able to you know put this together. Um, the lead, it was, I, I'm, I'm complaining about the stresses of, of my, you know, job, which is in the grand scheme of things is the lowest of the low on the totem pole. Um, you know, I can't imagine what the commissioner and the league officials and all the guys that, that are working up in the league office in Boston, what they're, um, what they were going through their thought process, trying to get this season to, uh, to go through. Um, I mean, the bubble itself, it was great. It, 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 there was everything you can imagine for the players to keep themselves busy, keep themselves refreshed, um, you know, for their games and stuff like that. They had a really good, like, you know, shuttle system from the stadium to the hotel and and vice versa. Um, Luckily, we were able to be so close to the stadium and the hotel. I mean, um, you know, 45-second drive in these these shuttle buses over. And, um, you know, the the, the protocol was great. Um, It it was very easy to understand. I know some of the other leagues, the big leagues, they have, you know, 110 page protocol um, documents that, you know, take, could take you days to read. And and there's so many minuscule things that you can forget, you can skip over and and it could totally ruin it. Um, You know, lucky for us, it was well thought out, well executed. Um, you know, unfortunately, there was a point of exposure in within the within the bubble. Um, you know, but it's very it's something you can't really you know stress out over because it it is a it's a pandemic. It's there's so many unknowns. You could do so many things. You could follow so many protocols. You could speak with so many health officials. You could speak to so many local government officials. It's just at the end of the day, you know, this, this, the, the disease picks, picks no victim. It doesn't choose. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't do anything. It just attacks. And, um, you know, unfortunately that's what happened to us. Um, but at the end of the day, once that situation had, a, had, a, uh, had come up, you know, the league was right on it, followed their protocol. They had thought out, um, and was able to get us all home safe and healthy back to our families. Yeah, that's fantastic. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, no. So like, so 
let's go before you got into the bubble because I think uh, one of the things Noah and I said last week uh, on the first episode, which was just us kind of talking, was, you know, I asked Noah if he thought he would be willing to go into a bubble. And he said, as a, you know, college student, no family to go home and take care of, no obligations at home, whatever, like, you know, you can go for four months, risk it, and hopefully be safe down there. But, uh, excuse me, but, you know, you went in, you got tested, obviously. Um, How was that process going from your first test to entering the bubble? And then once you were in the bubble, like, how safe did you feel? And almost like, was it kind of a return to reality as you once knew it? Like, without, you know, it looking like an apocalyptic country that we look like now? Um, well, I'll start with, I'll bubble. start with that about it not looking like an apocalyptic country. It, I mean, in times, it kind of felt back to normal. Um, you know, being in a hotel, just being in a hotel room any, for any reason, it always kind of just feels like a vacation. You know, it's just so many things you might not have at your house that, that are at now at your disposal in a hotel. That kind of thing, just, you know, going out to a different state, you know, going on a nice, you know, four-hour drive out of a, you know, to Maryland, just kind of a little escape from what's going on. But within the bubble, you know, um, everybody's wearing their masks inside. You know, if I'm going down the hall to the coach's room to talk about, you know, who's dressing for the game, you know, even that's it's mask and 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 sometimes even gloves, depending on um, what you're handling. A lot of times, when laundry would come in, I'd have you know my gloves on for the just to stop any cross contamination. Um, but the build up to it, um, even when they had announced that the season was going to take place from July 16th to the 26th, um, I still didn't really know what that meant for me. I, one of the players had told me, one of the players had been reaching out to me uh, frequently during the month of uh, May, just he had busted through a pair of cleats and, and tore, ripped a hole in his gloves. And so he was asking me to send him some stuff. Um, and I'm, one night he asked me if I had heard anything. And I said, hey, I, I, I know as much as you do, I know nothing. And he was like, well, I heard there's a leak and we're gonna be in Annapolis and this. And I was like, oh, you know, this is news to me. Um, let's see what happens with it. He's like, yeah, I don't know if it's official or not. So there was a lot of unknowns and that was a little frustrating to me because like I said earlier, you know, I was so stressed out with all the unknowns that I wanted to be on top of everything to eliminate any sort of bad, you know, worst case scenario. So to me, not really having a sort of lack of communication between myself and the league for a small period of time, you know, really got me worried because I wanted to be on top of everything. I didn't want to be caught on short notice, unprepared, all, you know, all these different things that I was taught so well at Temple, you know, to avoid you know, avoid lack of preparation, make sure you're all, all set, you know, you don't have to scramble at the last minute. Um, but, you know, once we, once the league announced it, we had a league wide conference call multiple times. We had multiple team, um, team conference calls with coach and the director of ops, all these people. So once that started to happen, um, you know, that sort of comfort level started to, started to come back to me. And I was able to, you know, take a deep breath and say, all right, we're doing this. Let's go get tested. Let's do all the things protocols taught us to do. Um, The most stressful part was just waiting for that test result to come back because, you know, I'm following my, uh, you know, I'm doing my due diligence, you know, my distancing, my masks in the grocery store, masks masks at restaurants, all this stuff. Um, 
but you, like I said earlier, you know, the disease doesn't pick anybody in particular. You never know um, when it's going to strike. So I was still, you know, kind of stressed out because I didn't want to ruin what had taken me so long to finally get to. Um, but, you know, came back negative, thank God. And, uh, you know, sent all that paperwork in, you know, as soon as I possibly could, because I was like, all right, let's go. Let's just, let's just make the season happen. Let's just do what we do best. And, um, you know, got in the bubble, finally got to meet some of the players that I've been texting, talking to on the phone for, for months. Um, it was just kind of nice. Like, it was really relieving to finally get in there and, um, and just, and get, just get ready to get to work because that's what we had just all been. It was such a guessing game from March since the country shut down to if we were going to get to play lacrosse, when we were going to get to play lacrosse. And, uh, um, you know, it was that, that, that moment of relief when we all knew that we were finally going to get to go. We went out there and we, we made a little run. So, um, I mean, everything, everything that could have gone well did go well and, and not much went wrong. So, you know, really grateful for that. It sounds like it was a great experience overall. And uh, finally to see the fruits of your labor really helps. Uh, you have been texting these guys for months and then finally you get to meet up with them and, and see what you're actually doing, um, which, again, is always nice to see the fruits of your labor. So I kind of want to go into what happened that fateful end of July day uh, that you found out. <laughs> the little leak in the system um, in which some players tested positive and, and what happened from there and maybe how you found out or maybe you want to describe to people what actually happened. I think that'd be great. Yeah, um, you know, we were, we were at the top of the world um, when, it, when it all came crashing down. Uh, uh, we had started off two straight losses. We were the worst in the league. We had the worst goal differential. Some of the guys are getting ready to pack it up and just and head home with three games in the regular season to go. And I don't even, to be honest, I'm not even sure what clicked. But, you know, we went on a run. We won three straight. We beat, you know, we beat the third-ranked team uh, in our fourth game to get to 500. And then on the final day of the regular season, we had beaten the defending champions who have, the, you know, one of the best players in the world on their team one of the best goalies in the world on their team. We went in there and we, and we, uh, we beat about five goals and um, we were, cl we were cloud nine. We had secured the two seed after losing two straight games. Uh, we were just so, we were so thrilled and everybody's packing up in, in the locker room or should I say lack of locker room. We didn't really have just to eliminate any sort of indoor cluster of groups. We had kind of locker room set up in outdoor areas just to avoid any sort of um, exposure. And, uh, you know, everybody's getting out of their ice baths and playing music and everybody's jumping. And we're waiting on that shuttle bus to, uh, to head back to the hotel and shuttle bus rolls up. It, uh, door opens up and we try to get in and the guy's like, Nope, not for you guys. And he's like, okay, we see the, see a player walk out and he, he, he looks, he looks pretty healthy. But, you know, visibly looks healthy. He looked a little tired, but you could just say that because of the game he had just played. And, um, you know, when we saw that he was getting to a van alone, we were like, here it is. You know, it's all, it's all coming down now. Um, but, you know, we went back to the hotel. We did, you know, our daily routine. I had the guys bring their laundry down to me, uh, had dinner, 
everybody was ready to go. Everybody was, you know, resting and stretching and getting, you know, treated by the trainer because we had a playoff game in the morning. We had a playoff game. We were going to play the same team we had just played, the same defending champions we had just beaten. Um, so, you know, there was no time to sit back and say, what's going on? It's kind of like, don't wait, just, just expect it. But, you know, still prepare for this playoff game we have. Let's not throw away this, this, this run we're going on. And, uh, you know, later that night, one of the coaches sent a text in our group chat, and, you know, meeting in the morning, 7 a.m., we're thinking, okay, could just be a meeting for the game, whatever. And, uh, you know, we're all up at 7 a.m. And uh, the news broke that the player on Chesapeake Bayhawks tested positive. I don't remember exactly if he was exhibiting symptoms, you know, excessively um, within the bubble or if they had just tested him out of abundance of caution. And it unfortunately came back positive. So that Saturday morning, we all got tested. Um, once we got tested, it was just a waiting game to see, you know, what fate was going to hold for us. And uh, luckily, we got our results back and everybody on our team came back uh, negative. Everybody on the other two playoff teams, uh, Boston and Denver, had come back negative. But uh, Chesapeake. Uh, added two positives to their list, bringing their total of three. And uh, we kind of got together as a team. And, uh, you know, the captain spoke and they were like, I mean, if you guys want to play, we'll play. But at the end of the day, this is, this is a little bit bigger than lacrosse. You know, we got families to go home to. We got kids to go home to. We have jobs to go back to. Um, so there was a whole – there were so many unknown variables of what was going to come in the next – two hours um and it had just gone to the point where the guys were like it's not worth it to go play lacrosse game um we were slated to play the chesapeake team which had three positives they had opted out they had all um you know they all knew that it was not there was no room for lacrosse for lacrosse in, in this moment in time so once we saw that they um backed out we we kind of thought that hey you know i i think we should follow follow their lead and uh and do the same, you know, we did an anonymous vote um, just to see if, you know, who wants to play, who doesn't. Um, and, uh, you know, it was heartbreaking for the guys. It was heartbreaking for, uh, for our coach. He's been wanting a championship forever. But, you know, there was no – there was nobody, you know, really pushing to play because we all knew the circumstances that could come from it. And, um, you know, we had to take the opportunity to – um, you know, that negative test that we all possess in our hand is to take it out of here because um, a lot of our, I would say, I think it was two of our, two of the players in our team um, are from Canada. So they need that negative test to get across the border. Um, and I needed that negative test to avoid a 14 day quarantine in Connecticut because I believe that Thursday prior to this day, Connecticut had just added Maryland to its travel advisory list. So I'm like, you know, I'll take that negative test and, you know, avoid that 14 day quarantine. Um, a couple other guys on the team are from Connecticut, um, New York guys, all New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all had Maryland on their travel advisory. So it was kind of, uh, it was kind of a common decision, you know, a, a, a really, you know, nobody was really questioning why we weren't playing. There were a lot of guys questioning why we would play. And I just got to, uh, you know, I got to shout out there. You know, all these guys' abilities to, to make such a, a, a huge decision um, 
amongst themselves as a team together. You know, some of these guys, uh, some of these guys have played together on the on the Dallas team, which is what we're where our team had relocated from. Some guys were rookies, some guys were veterans that got traded. So there was, you know, it was such a so many question marks coming into the season, and the fact that you know by the tenth day of being together for the first time you know, all the 25 guys in the team were able to, to come together and make such a wise decision. Yeah. And I, I thought it was admirable. The way I found out was, you know, I, I knew you guys went on that run, you and I were talking and then I didn't see anything from the MLL social pages. They just went silent. And I was like, what the heck happened? And then, you know, you and I talked and you kind of filled me in. Um, but I, I can't imagine how crazy that could have been uh, there, but just to fill everyone in. So what happened? So you guys were a semifinal game. That semifinal game gets canceled. And then the other two teams and the other semi played for the championship, right? Correct. So what we thought, what we had initially thought was that we would just kind of get a, we didn't want to use the word buy because, you know, buy is just supposed to be earned, not really given. Um, you know, we thought that since the team that we were supposed to play had opted out, um, we would just kind of make it to the championship and, and that semifinal game would go as uh, would go as planned tomorrow on that Sunday. And uh, the league had said to do, they were going to do the number one seed would just make the have the bye to the playoffs and that we would play Boston, which was the three seed, sorry, the four seed later that afternoon. And that's when the guys realized that, you know, four hours after we had just gone our test back, we, you know, they didn't feel comfortable going out to play a lacrosse game. If it had been the following day, there might've been a little bit of a balance in the votes of yes, playing and nope, not playing um, maybe even two days and stuff like that. But I think the fact that we were, if we had voted to, to yes, to continue to play, it would have been, you know, all right, go to your, go to your hotel, go to your back to your rooms and, and get ready to play after, you know, all this has just happened in, in one of the most hectic mornings that I've ever been a part of. So I think that was a real contributor to, to the decision uh, that we, that we made. Um, so your experience was definitely one that hopefully, you know, the whole bubble system doesn't have to continue for much longer, but the way it looks, uh, I know the NBA is even in talks to do it next year, but um, your bubble on a smaller scale, the MLL bubble, I should say, um, had, you know, that outbreak and not really an outbreak, three people tested positive, but um, it had that whatever. Um, and so you see the NBA where they've gotten to a point where they have 7,000 people and they don't have a single positive test anymore. And their 113 page manual of protocol is working. So in your eyes, after your experience in a bubble that uh, wasn't I correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it didn't seem as elaborate as something like the NBA and it doesn't have the same infrastructure, but you know, exactly. not, as, not as elaborate as the NBA bubble. How do you think sports can continue without a proper bubble? If the one that you were in uh, failed at the end? Um, I, a couple of the guys believed that if two of the guys on our team work in hospital, one works in uh, one in Florida and one works in a hospital in Manhattan. Um, so you can believe those are two of the hottest spots in the country for, um, for this pandemic. And they were saying that, you know, the, the average incubation period for most of the tests 
of the tests that they've done by people that have tested positive is that, um, you know, the COVID can pop up as a positive after 11.3 days of it being in your system. So our season was 11 days long. You know, God forbid he actually, the, the player tested positive, you know, he could have had it, um, been asymptomatic for those first 11 days and been negative upon arrival at, of the bubble negative at the, at the time of his um, entry test back, you know, two weeks before the season had started, you know, that first kind of uh, preliminary test that, that he had done for us. Um, so that's what they were saying. They said, you know, it could not, it couldn't, it could have, it could not have been, um, what's the word, uh, contracted while he was in the bubble. He could have, you know, brought it into the bubble and after, 11 days and and the 10th it was the 10th day where you know the ninth night that he had exhibited some some minor symptoms um so there's so many unknown variables of did he have it for the whole week and then uh it it popped up and all these different things and you know once again just the, the way the league handled it was so was so well done you know they, they stuck to their protocol they didn't you know do anything that would um you know, put the players at risk and stuff like that. They, uh, it, they, they, they had a worst case scenario and then they, they followed, you know, they, they probably ran millions of different scenarios of what could happen. And, and this was probably thought in that one of 1 million scenarios. So, um, you know, and to answer your question about how to make sports run without, um, or, or, you know, just run with a successful bubble, or without is just it's just the testing and it's just it I, if I if I was if I was running it for any league um you know regardless of level you gotta be able to have these guys in this in this environment this bubble for those 14 days you need to do that you can't um you know you can't just assume that they're following their the, the local protocols and some some maybe you know i don't know if the players are from parts of the country where those local protocols are are, are not as strict as other parts so there's like i said there's so many unknown variables but you know at the end of the day um you know the real way to make it you know most successful for the future in any league is just to have this period of time where you have all players all coaches all staff in this bubble for a certain amount of time where they continue to test negative. And once you get the positive, you, you know, don't know if this is the right word, you kick them out, you know, get rid of that, get rid of that potential threat. And uh, you you, st you stick with the ones that, that are continuously testing negative while within the bubble, because if your bubble is tight enough and you continue to have these negatives and negatives and negatives, you will never be able to get a positive like you're seeing. And, and you say the NBA has their 7,000 tests. I mean, to me, the one that's, in my opinion, is being the most well operated is the NHL. That's, in my opinion, is they've been testing these guys for so long. I feel like there never even was a point where there were a, a, a large amount of positives. There were, I think maybe, I don't know if this is the right number, but I think maybe like 13 at one time might have been the most positives they had. And you know, luckily for the NHL, they didn't have any positives while they had their regular season going on, like the NBA did. Um, you know, the, the Utah Jazz and the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, all those guys, you know, had tested positive.
sort of right around the end of the regular season and, and right at the beginning of the sort of shutdown and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, to, to make the answer short, it's just you got to be able to keep the guys in the bubble and manipulate that bubble into being 100% negative because, you know, if you have the guys come in and start playing the next day, you know, you're not really allowing enough time. And it all it, it starts the players to that trust love, that level of trust between are you following your guidelines? And then after that, it's are they following their guidelines, but their local authorities' guidelines are not as strict. And it's, it's, there's so many variables that go into making a season run. And, and unfortunately, you know, well, I was just going to say, unfortunately, luckily, you know, our league was able to crown a champion, which is, I guess, the new word they use in sports is, you know, will each league be able to crown its champion? And, uh, you know, we were able to crown a champion at a small cost of not having a full championship you know, series, full playoff. But, but you know, uh, luckily we had that protocol all sought, all, you know, sought out and, uh, and executed really well. Yeah, people are talking a lot about the asterisks, putting asterisks next to champions. I think this year they put an asterisk next to it to signify that this was the year that was more difficult than any other season. Exactly. So, yeah, it's a whole – One of the uh, – yeah, one of the, uh, you know, one of the coaches we were – you know, after that first loss uh, that you had, um, you have that first loss in the first game and, and you get back to your, you know, your hotel, you get back to that whiteboard, you get back to that film room. Um, you know, you only have a full 24, full 24 hours until your next game. Mm-hmm. You know, lacrosse season is once a week. You have six days, seven days to prepare a game plan, to do all these different things. Um, to be able to, you know, and it's, it's like I said earlier, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, you're, you're hot. We went three straight. We don't win three straight if we're playing, you know, in tw- three games in 21 days. We, we win three straight when you play three straight days and you're hot and your confidence is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a struggle to be able to treat your treat players treat themselves you know a lot of guys limping after games just just so worn out from from three straight days you know five games in seven days just you know pedal to the metal full contact you know right into it and I mean I could see you know the asterisks next to it I think the only I mean I honestly don't think that there's a, a league that you could put an asterisk in it for not for it not being as valuable I think you put the asterisk for it being more valuable. I mean, baseball, you have 60 games. You cannot afford to go on a five-game losing streak. Yeah. In a, in a full season, you go on a five-game losing streak, and, you know, you're, you're okay. Shake it off. You know, you get to the rotation after five games, and you're good. It's t- to say that, you know, you know, me as a Yankee fan, you know, all my friends are saying that the Yankees win the World Series. It's 27 and a half championships. I mean, I might even say it's 28 and a half. <laughs> to, be able to, go, to be able to go in there in, in 60, what is it, 66 days? You have six off days or something like that. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's an unbelievable number. It's just to be able to go in there and, and just compete at the highest level after competing at the highest level, stopping for four months or three months or whatever it was and, get right back out there and, and do it, I think is unbelievably hard to do. And uh, I, I don't think that it should be seen as an easy season in any light. I think that in all 
uh, for, or I don't even, I'm not even going to talk about the NFL because who knows about that. In, in the NHL, the NBA, and MLB, I think that this championship is probably going to be one of the most earned championships that we've seen in a really long time. I guess, so I guess the, let's get in, let's get back into like, you know, the whole bubble talk because you've been in it. Um, and we're looking at the ramp up of college sports. And I know, you know, we all have worked in college sports, John, you still kind of do. Uh, Noah and I are very much still engrossed in it. Um, and, you know, we're seeing our athletes posting stories that aren't, maybe aren't report, reported on as much. Um, but, you know, there's that one player from Indiana that's, you know, developing a condition after recovering from COVID and, mm-hmm. you know, some other universities where, you know, guys are testing positive after coming back. Um, do you see, like, do you think this is going to work the way the, the way it looks right now, especially with how the MLB is? Cause you know, Noah and I on our last episode, we talked about it's whatever if, you know, Joe Schmo gets COVID like, if you look at the Marlins and you're like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that sucks. Like, go and quarantine yourself, and then you'll play, you know, your four-game series later. And now, aren't they playing tonight? I think they start playing again again. All right, but I just got a notification on my phone saying that they were clear to uh, start playing again. So. Yeah, they're playing the Orioles tonight, I believe, at like 7.45 or something. And I think it's an interesting conversation to have because let's say your Marlins – uh, aren't doing so hot anyway, and they, they are not expected to be in the playoffs and whatever. Like, and then you go and you look at what if they had gotten, you know, a player like Bryce Harper, um, who is a major superstar in your league, or maybe, God forbid, an Aaron Judge um, gets stuck with something like this. It's like those are one of the top players in your league. So I think that's when the conversation comes. I think it just has more brevity to it, in my opinion. But we'll, we'll get back to the MLB talk. I think the college talk is really, really an interesting conversation to have with three uh, individuals who have all worked in college sports. And we kind of want to get the perspective of, you know, what would your job look like right now if you were still, like, only college sports and doing all that? And I think it's an interesting conversation to have for Brian, who's in equipment, and you know, video and athletic department um, content creation. And same for me as a designer, I think goes for equipment even more. You're touching everything. Like it's crazy. <laughs> like it, you have to think about that sometimes. Yep. I had, I had spoken with, you know, the equipment manager for Temple football, you know, after my season I concluded because I had been reaching out to her a lot just for some advice because when she started her head position, um, she was fresh out of college and she was very, very young at the time. And so I, we could relate to that. I just asked for a little bit of advice. So I just caught up with her just to, you know, offer my appreciation for all the help and advice she'd given me and just to talk on my drive home. Cause I was getting pretty bored of music and stuff like that. And just asking her like, you know, how are practices going without one, without the help of the students, because you know, only the student athletes were allowed back on campus. You can't have your managers on hand to help you. And, and she, you know, just said that disinfecting every piece of equipment, every piece of field equipment, um, you know, not can't have all the guys in the locker room because that goes over the state mandate for amount of people in, in one place, you know, inside, you know, all these little things. And it gets down to, you know, what she said is that 
And what I said earlier is, you know, she, you know, everybody at Temple knows, can see that they're doing their, they're following their protocol. Temple's following their protocol. When you start traveling to Houston to play Houston in November, or I don't even know if we're traveling to Houston. I'm not sure. But just to just as an example, are those guys, you know, following the same protocol? Are the facilities workers there, you know, doing as thorough cleaning as they should be? And if they're not, do you bring it, bring it back here and ruin and spoil your entire protocol that you had put so much time and effort into? It's so, like I see, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's that common factor. It's that common denominator. Just there's so many unknown variables. Such a guessing game depending on, it, it's an honor system and it's kind of crazy that, and this time is just, you know, being truthful to the, the scenario that we're in. And yeah, I think it's, physically impossible to impose a college football bubble there's just zero chance you can have it the only way you can really do it is if you you know split your conference up by division and then split that division up within the conference into a smaller division and maybe only have four teams in one place but even four teams in one place that's close to 400 people if you're bringing your entire team bringing your entire coaching staff and equipment staff and training staff and video staff it's it's i think it's literally impossible to do all that and again it's college sports you can't take your college you can't take your students out of campus to go be in a bubble and give them all these protective services that a regular student might not have the ability to get you know that's always that's always the big issue with the NCAA is they, they always come back to that one point of, you know, you don't want to give student athletes, you know, courtesies that a regular student might not be able to get. And I think that, you know, there's some things where I think you can push a little leeway on it and say, come on, these student athletes are doing all this for your, your league and doing all this for your mm-hmm. conference and school and all these things. You can let these guys, you know, you can let these guys go work. You can let these guys get a little, you can let these guys star in a local, you know, car dealership commercial but I don't want to get into that stuff. I know you guys probably touched on that already. Um, yeah, no, that's a fun topic. We could, that's a very, oh, you can topic. talk on that for hours, but oh, should um, college yeah. athletes be paid. That's a huge, it's just that whole thing. It's coming back is you're taking college students and you're taking them away from their campuses and you're giving them all these special treatment that a regular student might not get the ability to. I think the NCAA would shut it down. And if the NCAA doesn't shut it down, there's some sort of organization out there that would, call out all these different allegations and say they're doing this for that and not for this. And, and, and then again, if you don't do a bubble, you know, you are dealing with 19 to 23 year olds at the peak of their existence, socially, academically, athletically, it's impossible to, you know, um, I don't know what's the word enforce the protocols outside of the facility outside of campus you know it's just so many so many things that go into it and I just quite frankly think that there's no way that it's gonna it's gonna happen I just think that it's too much there's too many things at risk and too many things you know that could go so terribly wrong and that sort of demographic that is you know the super care super spreaders of this disease I just think that you know it's it, you could talk on this topic as long as you could talk on should, you know, they'd be paid. So there's so many different types of things that go into it and, and, and to keep it, 
short, there's just no way that you can run it effectively. Yeah. And, and my thing is like, I'll, I, if you, if you don't mind, like my thing is like, I don't think that the risk is even worth the reward. Like if the NCAA has learned anything from the MLB in one weekend where the Marlins had 14 people test positive in their first series, they only played one, they only played one team. They didn't go anywhere else. They played one team. Um, and if they're learning anything, you know, why, why is that worth it? Because they go play one game, 14 football players test positive. Okay. Well, who have those 14 football players been with since they returned to campus? Because you know, they're not getting tested. If they're at a road game, they're not getting tested until they get back on the ground at mm-hmm. home. So between that time, who are they coming in contact with? Is it girlfriends? Is it roommates? Is it buddies? Teachers and tutors. Teachers. Literally and- it, 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 the numbers of people, it's just so much higher. Cause when you're living on a college campus and you're in college, you're interacting with so many people uh, and it's so many more people than these pros. And it's, it's already crazy to have like the NFL in training camp where these guys are going back to their houses. Like they're not staying on a premises. Like they're all just going back and forth to the facilities. That's already crazy to think of because you don't know who they're coming in contact with in a day. And, you know, Doug Peterson just has positive and that whole thing. Like, whoa the discipline factor between professional athletes and student athletes. Um, you know, you as a professional athlete, you know that this disease could end your career, you know, God forbid by dying, you know, or giving you a lifelong health condition. There's a lacrosse player, um, Jules Heinberg, one of the best lacrosse players in the country in in the world for that uh, matter. And he had tested positive back in June, and he had then again tested negative when it came to the preliminary test for the Premier Lacrosse League, which is MLS Mother League. And um, all these, you know, things, he was coming back negative. He's out there ready to play. He's training every day. And what the Premier Lacrosse League had been doing is they had been running um, other tests outside of COVID tests just to see if you're more susceptible to contracting the disease. God forbid there's an outbreak in the bubble. They had done uh, liver tests, I believe liver, liver, lung, and heart tests. Because those are the three big areas that COVID will affect, your heart, your lungs, and, and I think your liver. Don't quote me on it. I think the liver is that third part. And uh, they had run, you know, tests upon tests upon tests on this guy. And they finally got to that heart test, and they saw that, you know, he had he – had, developed this heart condition because of COVID and you know they said that you know you're not getting enough oxygen into your bloodstream and if you go out there and you play a lacrosse game for 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 an hour you know four quarters you play you know at any time god forbid you could you know collapse on the field because your heart can't keep up and he had no idea he didn't know that this was this was going on with him and he um you know he had to make that sacrifice of just of of leaving the bubble and, and going home and not being able to compete with with his teammates to win a championship. And, and if you look past this season, who knows when his, he will be able to get back out onto the field because you have this heart condition where you're not getting enough oxygen and all these things. You don't know how long that's going to affect you in the long term. So if you take that over to football, there's that Indiana player who's developing his condition because of his experience with COVID. You know, there's NFL guys who have, you know, uh, 
pre-existing health conditions and, and all these different types of things wear on them. You don't know what's going to happen um, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next five years. So that, that sort of discipline between college and, and uh, professional is that these professional guys know. They, they understand the risks. College kids, like I said, they're 19, some, some 18 to 23, and they're living their best life. They're on cloud nine, and they don't really think about all these things that can affect them for the rest of their, the rest of their lives. And that's why they might be like, oh, it's okay to go to this party tonight, like you see at Rutgers. It's okay to go to this party, come back, and you have double-digit positives, and you shut down the football program for two weeks um i think that's going to be the the, the big factor the big difference between college and professional professional might be able to carry on because those guys have that sort of discipline obviously the cardinals and marlins um i don't know if that's a sense of lack of discipline might be it might be just you know they they really just let their guard down they kind of had a little bit of a return to reality and forgot you know the current situation that they're in which, which, like, I, it comes from a lack of discipline. Um, and I just think that's the huge that's – the, that's the number one difference in why professional could be more um, successful than, than college. Yeah, no, I totally understand that discipline factor. I don't, I don't tell many people secrets, and I don't think that I rely on that many people to take care of my life when it comes down to, oh, is Houston – you know how you mentioned this example. Oh, is Houston doing the right things? when I travel down there, has their protocol been airtight? I mean, realistically, you don't know. And that's what's scary. As an ACC school, we recently got our schedule, 11 games, 10 ACC, one out of conference, but in state. Um, The scary thing about that is the way you – there's so many possibilities. And I think, you know, you can each go through your theories about this, but this is more of a conversation topic, if anything. I think – one of my ideas was like, would you go home away, home away, home away? Or would you go home, home? But then that means the other team's traveling, which means they could have brought it here. And maybe you've had, you know, and then you go, well, maybe the bubble, but then you just explain maybe not. And then you go, well, maybe they play a little bit into January and you have these games go a week apart from each other or two weeks apart from each other. So you play one home game one week, you quarantine or whatever a week or, you know, practice or whatever. And then you play the next week, maybe it's an away game. And then you go like that. There's so many options that it's weird because we haven't been told any dates. It's all still TBD. Like we can talk about this right now because it's still TBD. That's just my out loud thinking. If you have anything to elaborate. I mean, each of you. Each of you. <laughs> I agree with what you're saying, and it, it just comes down to, you know, what are what are they doing, locals level, state level? Um, it's, I, I have no idea. I personally don't think. I think that the right move is for the league to swallow its pride and, and come out and say, you know, it's impossible to do this. Or are they going to go that route where they they just say that they they need to do it for their I don't want to say for their bank accounts, you know, mm-hmm. I, I hate saying it like that, but it's, it's the truth. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's totally, it's a huge decision that's going to be made. And, and no matter what the decision is, there's going to be half the population that's so opposed to it. And the other half that's cheering for it. So I, I think it's a, it's a lose, lose situation for the NCAA. 
I think, because they're going to lose a lot of supporters. You know, they're going to lose a lot of players, regardless of which, what they do. If they say no, that you're not playing, you're going to lose guys to, you know, or I wouldn't say the, the NCAA won't lose guys, but the school might lose guys if, if another league is doing it as opposed to one league not, or conference, not league, sorry. Um, and if they, if they do play, you have guys that are like, you know, opt out themselves and then it puts their careers, you know, their school, their football careers at, at risk or basketball careers or lacrosse or soccer, or women's sports. Um, it's, there's, there's so many things that are going to go into it. And I just don't know what the right decision is. And I don't know if the right decision is going to be the right decision um, in the eyes of everybody. Yeah, and I agree with you with the the half of the people are going to like it and half the people aren't because one of the things I touched on last time briefly was what John, just to fill you in, we had like a 45-minute recording of just us talking about this for the first episode, so that's why I just keep referring back to, you know, what we touched on. But I think, you know, there's a lot of people because the, the, whole, the whole COVID situation has divided this country more than a lot of other things have. And it's exposed a lot of other issues that are also dividing people. And there's no real unison here. So, like, you know, not everyone likes football. Not everyone likes college football. So among those college football people that like college football, you know, those people are probably split right down the middle as well as to what they believe about COVID, which it shouldn't ever be of what you believe in. It's science. That's my thing. Um, but you know, those people are going to be split down the middle as far as, you know, how much they are buy buying into it and how much they're like, no, it's a joke. Let them play. Um, which is just wild because you're not going to have one answer that everyone's happy with. And I'm sure if you, if, you know, conferences start to pull the plug, you'll have people that will be saying thank you because, you know, when I saw that the Ivy league said that they were going to push all their fall sports back, You'd think that the Ivy League, I, I don't want to make assumptions based on their academic members, but you'd, you'd think that the, the Ivy League would be making the most academic decision possible and that if the Ivy League didn't see it fit to play, that the other leagues would talk to them, be like, what do you guys know that we don't? Or like, give us your pitch so that we can, you know, maybe make it more rational for us. Because – Look at the SEC, right? The SEC will do anything they can to play football because those people in the South live, breathe, die, sleep football. And they live, breathe, die, uh, and sleep not believing in COVID. Correct. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, how do you get an Ivy League to go to the SEC and be like, hey, guys, we love football as much as you do. It may not look like it, but we also love our, our sports. But here's why we as a league don't think it is feasible to go have a season and maybe talk some sense into them. But I just don't see those conversations happening. Yeah, I don't know. In my perspective, and I know you said like, well, you know, Jonathan, you said something about seeing kids opt out maybe and conversations like that. But it's, I almost feel like that's too naive because we do, we, you've worked in a college football thing and you know these kids just as well as I do. Yeah, there are some like ones that have bright spots and everything, but there are those kids that are like, F it, like 
I just think whatever it takes to get me drafted or whatever, you know, it's like, or whatever it gets to take or whatever it takes to get me on TV or whatever it takes to do this and do that. It's like, there's a lot of ego in college football. And I think that's like perfectly resembled by the whole Mike Gundy situation in the beginning of the summer when he like, it was, it was at Oklahoma state and he, you know, said something about, I don't really care. I'm just going to throw my football players on the field regardless. Like, these are 19, 20 year old guys. They should be able to handle it. And I was like, what are you doing? Like you play in a major conference. You can't just, I think right now we're playing a game between the ACC, uh, the big 10 and the SEC, just waiting to see who's cracks first. And it's just a ticking time bomb and we're just waiting and we're all sitting around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the PAC 12, um those student athletes that are coming together and props to the kids in the Pac-12 because yeah that takes a lot of guts to stand up for something as we've seen of course it's 2020 we're in the middle of a pandemic there has been no better time or no time in our lifetimes where we've seen more people stand up for more different things that they believe in than right now um and I guess the the members of the Pac-12 thought that this was the perfect time to to voice their opinion on a variety of issues and some of the things you know i i was watching espn the other day when they were talking about it and like some of the things the students in the pac-12 are asking for are just like flat out impossible to do like i think they wanted a 50 50 revenue share like that's not possible <laughs> that is not like that's just not gonna happen um but they're they're asking for a lot so it's I think, Noah, I think with your the, the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, or eighth ACC, Big 10, SEC, mm-hmm. um, I think that's something. But I think if the Pac-12, if all of their student athletes – because then what if, what if the student athletes of these other major conferences catch this bug? Like what if uh, – I would say Joe Burrow, but he got drafted. Um, <laughs> You're thinking of what? You polarizing – Who's a polarizing yeah, that figure? That kid in? from uh, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Like, Trevor what if, Lawrence. What if Trevor Lawrence is like, yeah, I agree with these kids from the Pac-12. We got to stand up. Like, And what if a mature head in the locker room of a prominent football team stands up and is like, hey, like, I know we're all kids, but listen, like, this, this is serious. And what if the kids start to stand up for that? Do you think that would make it easier for the league to be like, we hear you. Let's have these conversations. Let's postpone the season for the safety. Like, do you think the league can take that cop-out answer, which would save them a lot of headaches, or do you think that they're just not even going to pay attention? I love the what-ifs. The yeah. what-ifs are great because the, the next what-if you could have asked was, what, what if your coach is not somebody, you know? It's like, what if your school's president is not somebody who would agree with the players and they need them to play so that they can make their money? Like, lot, like, there's many what-ifs to this whole shindig. But, I mean, yeah, Pac-12, I see what's going on. Great. Um, I don't know. I, there's a lot to talk about. I think it'll take um, – we saw the NBA. Everybody was, like, um, questioning. Because as soon as the NBA had shut down, uh, me and Brian, we weren't sitting together, but we were at that last – uh, Sixers game the night of yes, the league shut the league shutdown. <laughs> um, 
you know, as soon as, you know, riding the subway back to campus, I was looking at my phone and, and Woj was saying, you know, even right after, 20 minutes after it shut down, there was already talks of a possible bubble in Orlando immediately. And everybody was like, okay, like we'll take a couple of weeks off and we'll get right back into it. And I think it taking, it did it need to take a level of realism for, you know, people to realize that, okay, this is not going to take a couple of weeks. This is going to take, you know, a couple months. Um, you know, and you see that with Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, you know, probably the one of the biggest, if not the biggest figures in, in the sport test positive and, and um, he hadn't even played a game. I think that, kind of factor show uh, shed light into you know you don't need to be doing something to be able to contract it you need to be around somebody to, to get it and, and Kevin Durant not he's not sweating with the guys he's not guarding him he doesn't have his hands all over him he's just sitting with him and even he was able to get it that way that was kind of um, a wake-up call for the league for the country for all other sports to say you know this thing can come out of nowhere it it can ruin it it can bring you together it could do a lot of things and it was those sort of um it was it, it, you, it unfortunately you need somebody of that caliber to test positive to show you know the severity you know the severity the realism you know the impact that it can have and on college football you know i don't even know what the uh, uh, brent mcmurphy one of the uh, the insiders for college football, you know, I have him on Twitter, and and I've been seeing a lot of stuff. Notre Dame student, you know, Notre Dame athletic department, you know, conducts five hundred tests, zero neg- zero positives, you know, all these different things. Um, but they're not in a bubble. How long can these negatives continue to come up while you don't have them in a controlled area? So I think that you know, and going back to that common that common theme is is that you know there's so many unknowns and and it's such a new virus that you know it, it seems like it shouldn't you know people will say how is it not a new virus it's been here for seven months already we we've had it in the past there's been a SARS COVID you know in in 2010 I believe with the swine flu and all these different things how do we not know and it's you just don't know there's so many things that go into it and, and college sports and sports in general should not be the forefront of of the, the issue that you know the issue shouldn't be why are there no sports the issue should really be why are you know they're not enough different protocols on, on the residential level you know workforce level federal level it's all these different things and, and somehow it always gets tied back to sports because you know the country does run off sports a lot there's a lot of motivation for a nation that comes out of 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 having sports and but you know sometimes having sports you know it can can bring a lot of people back you know me and me and somebody's um you know we'll sit outside to avoid that you know indoor uh contamination and and uh exposure you know we'll sit outside set a tv up and these last couple of days have been real fun. You know, a lot of hockey on, a lot of NBA on, a lot of MLBs on, you know, even golf is on and, and all these different things. And it does bring you back together. It gives you that sort of sense of, you know, a, a check from, from what you're going, what's going on. And you see these players and you think that, you know, they're almost like superheroes. They're out here doing this during situation. And in college sports, it, it's kind of the opposite because they're not, like I said earlier, there's that, that different level of, uh, 
discipline between the two between the two levels of sport and there's just I, I honestly don't know what's going to make it work but I do know what's going to make it not work yeah for sure and that that was a really good segue into you know what we said we'd go back to in the MLB um and I think like I said earlier I think a lot of these leagues regardless of sport are going to take after um well we obviously, I think it goes without saying, but football is like the main focus of the NCAA in the fall. Like all the other sports can kind of be not to belittle any of those athletes. And like, they've been working hard their whole lives to play division one or division three or division two or whatever they're playing athletics. But you know, football is really the gauge of what's going on because if you can't have football, they're probably not going to have anything else. So I think with the MLB being the only league without a bubble uh, right now that's going on, um, you know, how much longer can they go? Obviously now Yadier Molina tested positive. Uh, DeJong, I don't know how to say his first name, also tested positive. So two of the, the huge names on the Cardinals just tested positive. Um, and that's, you know, those are two high caliber guys in the sport. So I think, and that just happened today. So I think that might, you know, start to build more conversations that are already being had. but. I guess just to ask both of you, like how much longer can the MLB last? Will they get through their full season? And then if another outbreak happens and the Bryce Harper and Aaron judge, God forbid, test positive, will that have any effect on, you know, what these conferences in the NCAA do, or do you think they're going to kind of just go by their own tune? Uh, I love marking our, uh, marking our time when we talk about these, because I think last time it was like July 28th and it was just the Marlins. And then we were like, okay, well maybe it'll go away, you know, that type of thing. But now what we're talking August 4th, 2020, the year of our Lord. Um, I think, I think it's something to think about because as we timestamp these things, it's like, okay, so yeah, we're here now with the MLB. Uh, we have two case studies that we can look at very closely. You got the NBA with the bubble that's doing a fantastic job, and the NHL is too. So I guess three case studies, and we'll group those bubble ones into one. So you got the bubble case study, and then you got whatever this MLB taste test is that we're all absorbing right now, and we're seeing it's a mess. Like, yeah, I like watching baseball. It's it's nice to see baseball on the television, but it's a mess. It's a hodgepodge. Yeah. There's, I, I keep saying to my family, I go, how many games over under? How many games? Seven, eight? How many games until they collapse the league? Because honestly, if if people keep treating it like the way it is, and teams are not taking it seriously, I think this goes back to this whole like college demeanor type of thing, where we talked about. So in college, you might not treat it like the professionals, but the professionals aren't treating it like the professionals in our one case study. So maybe it's not a professional thing. Maybe it's a disease, like just spreads thing. Like you can't do it without a bubble. There's no way. So yeah, there's um, a lot of resolutions that could come out of these, what I'm calling case studies, but go ahead. The, you know, these, these next few, these next few weeks will be um, um, big. I think, um, you know, like you said with the timestamps, on uh, today's August 4th, on July 4th, 
we were in a much worse place than we are today. June 4th, we were in a much better place than we're today. May 4th, we were in a worse place. April 4th, you know, if you go month by month, you know, we had on, on March, what was it, March 13th or 11th? I think 13th. I think was it was the 13th. 13th was the big day for the country, I, I would think. I think the 11th was the big day for sports. But 13th, you know, on March 13th, we didn't know what was going to come on April 13th. But once we got to April 13th, you know, we said, how the heck did we get here from March 13th? And then May 13th, things started to slowly open up and, and everything. And then it got back down. And so, you know, for where we are today, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after. But to make it continue to run, I think – I think Rob Manfred needs to um, – I think you know, one person he needs to contact uh, outside of American sports, I think he should contact the chairman of the Premier League in, uh, for English soccer uh, because they didn't do a bubble system. They have – I believe it's 18 teams, 18 soccer teams um, in the entire uh, – believe it's not the United Kingdom. I don't think any of those teams were in the Premier League. I think they're relegated to lower leagues. But all, in all of England, you know, from coast to coast, north and south, they were able to finish off their last, what was it, eight games or, or nine, ten games, something like that, uh, without being in a bubble, traveling from London to Liverpool to Manchester to uh, Brighton Beach to all these different places, back and forth, flying, busing. And they had zero positives um, at all during their season. I, and I don't know, I don't want to get political, but I don't know if it has to do with the federal, you know, the health organization that England imposed on their country, if it's different than what we have imposed on ours. Um, and which made it so successful is that they were able to travel from coast to coast. Look at the MLB and, and they're traveling with just in their in their uh, ge- local geography, you know, the Yankees aren't going further than Washington, uh, or were they playing? Oh, they're going to Tampa, right? I believe, or are they not? I'm not sure. I think they're going to Tampa and Miami. Um, you're keeping it, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, they're keeping it on the East Coast. They're not going any further west than. Uh, you know, DC and Philly and Baltimore and, and, and all those places. Um, mm. And, and they still can't even do it right. You have this English soccer league where they're going from, you know, all over the entire country. And it's a smaller country. They had a lot less cases. There's a little bit of them. They had a little bit more under control, but then again, it's just the Marlins couldn't make it out of Philadelphia without, you know, what was it, four days? They couldn't make it out of there without positive cases. And the Cardinals yeah. couldn't make it – the Cardinals couldn't make it out of two places. You know, where were they in Atlanta? Uh, where were they that they you – know, St. Louis? Or no, uh, Milwaukee, I think. Right? Yeah. They were playing the Brewers. Yeah. Yeah, they can't even get out of there. So it's like, what do you need to do? You need to contact people, you know, outside of your sport because you're the only sport in this country that's not doing a bubble. And so you need to start going out and you start talking to people. You need to start, you know, and maybe even get out of sports and go to health officials, you know, keep the sports out of it and talk on a human level. What's going to make it work. So, that, you know, put on a working level. If you had to work a nine to five day job, 
but you had to switch all these different locations and you, your employer should be able to figure out a way for you to do it safely. And uh, instead of doing it so that you can work and make the company money, you should be able to figure out how they can do it for their personal benefit and for their personal health. So there's so many different, so many different things that Rob Manfred needs to do. And I know David Price tweeted out that statement saying that, you know, Manfred doesn't really care about players' health or something like that. Is that, that's, is that accurate to what he said or something? Manfred isn't. No, he said he wasn't a quitter or something. He, he's never quit. Yeah. He, he never quits. So he just wanted to continue the season because of his own ego. But I think the last thing I'll kind of anecdote with is this point that you came up with about the soccer leagues and traveling in Europe. And it brings up a very good point because, yeah, let's talk about, let's, if you make the subject compared from the MLB to a European soccer league, that's a little kind of like far-fetched. We can go a little closer with that. And let's say that South Korean baseball league that's doing the same thing the MLB is doing basically. But then you brought in this idea of, well, was it the federal thing? And was it the way that, you know, Europe actually treated this disease and they took it seriously and they, you know, or maybe they had a bunch of cases and it was really unfortunate, but they got back up and running. It's like America's not solved this yet. Like we're not nearly done. It's not even close. So I think that's the, if we're talking about these case study ideas, and I like that word because when you analyze something, you do case studies, but I think analyzing the the similarities between and dif- the key differences between that Korean baseball league and the MLB right now is really fascinating. It would be really fascinating to look at. All right, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, and and just to go off that, like what you said just now, I think um, it's it's larger than just the sports leagues themselves. It comes down to what the countries are doing. Um, you know, <laughs> you know. South Korea, you know, they had taken care of it because they had an incredibly strict, um, they had incredibly strict guidelines in their country. Um, you know, that's a, in, in a lot of Asian countries, you know, they already wear masks a lot uh, due to like their air pollution and whatnot. And that's a normal thing for them. And like in these other countries, something as simple as wearing, and to set the record straight, I think wearing a mask does help. I don't care like what other people say, like, oh, don't wear a mask. Like, I'll, I'll go on. I'll say, like, yeah, you should wear a mask. Wearing a mask does help in the long run. No, I think you agree. Mask squad. Yeah, no, we're <laughs> – I'm here for mask society. I and me and, my, me and a couple of my buddies, when I was preparing for lacrosse, I had to do a lot of, you know, shopping for – you know, I was spending a lot of time – I feel like a dad. I was spending a lot of time at Home Depot – you know, researching the best screwdrivers and the best power tools and all these different things. And we're walking through Home Depot, picking out these things and everybody's got a mask on and, and there's, you know, no questioning when you have to do it. And I don't know, it's just, you know, some parts of the, and I think, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because it doesn't really relate to, to, to the topic we're talking about, but, you know, and this might be a little bit of a, of a bias to my love for New York City, but um, we, you know, it's different parts of the country. I you know, maybe say like, you know, the Carolinas and, and uh, Florida and all these different places. 
when the peak of Corona hit America, you know, it was, it was in New York city. They were, you know, it seemed like every day we were getting 10,000 cases, 10, you know, a couple hundred deaths every single day. And I think, you know, for the Northeast population all the way down to like DC area and, and Philly and, and all these different places is that, you know, everybody was wearing, everybody was following these protocols because they were firsthand in the heat of everything. They saw the good, they saw the bad, they were like, this is, this is terrible. Let's just actually do it. As opposed to Florida where people are partying on the beach and, and in bars because they're like, oh, you know, America looks bad just because of New York. It just looks bad because of Los Angeles. Doesn't it's not we're we're good here, you know. Let that let's let them handle it. And then, you know, then they got around to them and and that's going to be and I, I don't want I think it could even stretch into that could that same sort of ideology could even stretch into sports. You have it could it could be one of the reasons why the Marlins players tested positive or the Cardinals players tested positive because they see, you know, New York, it's New York's getting better. It's definitely getting better more than it's getting worse. Um, and, you know, some of these Marlins players could be like, hey, you know, we, Wolf, we're fine. You know, we have all these protocols. We're spending time together. Like, you can go out for, you can go out for, you can go out to the grocery store. We can go out for, for, you know, a bite to eat and stuff like that. Letting their guard down, that lack of discipline because they think that they're, you know, invincible to it because it's not happening it firsthand to them. St. Louis, I don't know what. The numbers are like in St. Louis or, or Milwaukee, but they might be like, oh, we're in Milwaukee. Who, who is in, you know, there's not, Milwaukee's not a crazy hot spot right now. We can go out, we can go to the grocery store. What, what do they say? I think the tweet uh, from Rosenthal or, or, or um, Jeff Passon was like, one of the players went to the store to get um, a, a bottle of a gallon of milk or something like that, something like kind of crazy where you couldn't just like go down to the front desk and get something from the uh, vending machine or, or something like that. It's just like, Hey, we're in Milwaukee. Maybe it's not as bad. I can go outside for, for a half hour, an hour and, and do all these things. And that's just sort of that. You don't have that firsthand um, experience seeing how bad it possibly is. And that could be the reason why, you know, they let their guard down and, and it got so bad so quickly. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And that was exactly where, you know, I was going. And as we wrap this up, I want to thank you again for your time. I've uh, been on here for like, you know, almost almost 90 minutes. But I think I think it's twofold. Well, many more fold than just two. But I think there's there's the um there's the responsibility part where like, you know, between and I'm just trying to wrap everything up that we've talked about. And there's the responsibility part that's you know, the differential between pro and collegiate where these pro guys, like the guys in the, in the premier league are probably going to take these things much more seriously because they're getting millions and millions and millions of dollars to play these games. Like soccer players get outrageous amounts of money. Um, so that that's one piece. Another piece is that the protocol or like the numbers where they are and just the severity of the pandemic and how it's been handled by their government, no shade to the U S government, but how it's been handled by their government and their, uh, their health officials. Um, that's a whole nother aspect. And I, I think John, I think you're completely right as, as, with that, but everyone in this country, if they want sports to happen, which nobody will do this, but everyone has to treat it like they're at ground zero because there's no way, you know, what's going on outside and what, could happen if 
you know, like how likely it is you get sick or whatever. Like there's no way of knowing. Cause like you said earlier, John, it doesn't pick its victims. It just, the, the virus just attacks. Like it, you're going to get it. Like most people are probably going to get it. So I think it's, it's an unfortunate reality. And I think it comes down to, I, I really don't like getting political ever, but I think it really comes down to how as a country we've handled this virus and how it's still very prominent in cities across this country uh, from coast to coast. And like you said, a lot of people are letting their guard down and that's unfortunate as we get closer because the notion was, okay, like NBA might be messed up. Baseball should be fine. Football should be fine. Like once we get through the summer, like, you know, we should have an abundance of time to get football going because everyone loves football. But now it's, you know, we're still, we might as well still be in March because it's the same level of severity, but people on one side of the political spectrum are pushing for a reopening and with reopening and with lessening of protocol comes a lot of negligence and a lot of people that are going to let their guard down and it's going to pick back up as we've seen. So I don't see how I don't, long-winded answer i just don't see how you continue to do sports conventionally um in the current state of this country yeah it's tough it's difficult for sure um yeah well it's we've talked about how many things now we talked about the mll and john's you know role on a team and uh, we talked about you know that bubble and its successes its ups and downs and what ended up occurring there and congratulations to the boston cannons by the way beating uh the denver (laughs) outlaws the denver outlaws yeah with the asterisks um the asterisks good asterisks the good asterisks the positive asterisks and then we we went through the outlooks of college football um and what that may look like and we don't have the answers that's why it's fun to assume and uh, the last and final thing was this whole mlb you know, comparison talk and about the country as a whole. So if you want to wrap it up, Brian, it, it, yeah, this was a great conversation. I, one of the better ones I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I would just kind of lost track of time, kind of lost track of, of topic. But, I mean, everything kind of just flowed into itself just from the start of talking lacrosse. That's how which, beautiful it works. Which is exactly, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't. Didn't come in here with anything prepared. I said, you know, let's just talk lacrosse. And so many, I mean, that, any, almost everything I talked about in lacrosse kind of stemmed back into all the other topics, just that, that sort of, just the realness of this thing and, and how hard it is for sports to be successful, but also how rewarding it can be when they are successful. Absolutely. And John, I want to thank you again for your time. Um, this was incredible. But I think with sports as uh, I don't want to use moral compass. Uh, I'm stealing that from, from Riggsy there, but um, <laughs> I think, I think sports are the compass of this nation. And um, while it may not, you know, while everyone may not be a sports person and they may not really care that much about sports or what's going on. I think it's uh, really a gauge of how this country is. And, you know, when, 
we're in the heat of it. We're in 2016 or we're in 2018 when, you know, the Warriors or the Cavs are like all over and everyone is talking about sports and everyone's talking about what's going on. And now to have like so much uncertainty, I think it's just a microcosm of what's going on in reality outside of sports. Because as we all know, you know, when we go into sports and when we're working, like it's almost an escape from reality. Like the entire fall and into the, as much of the spring semester as we had, like I didn't have a TV in my dorm room. I didn't watch the news once. Like I had no idea what was going on in the world. I was just focused on making sure I was up by six 30. I was getting my breakfast sandwich and I was in the doors of EO by six 59. And like, that was the only thing I was worried about in the world. And like maybe getting my assignments done on time. But now I, we're all folk. We're all forced to, to focus on things outside of it. And it just, Everyone wants sports back, but we need to figure out this before we can get that. Staying sharp. So, John, I want to thank you again. We're going to continue doing these with other people just like you to talk about their stories and really just have these long-winded conversations that we've all been having outside of the podcast with our peers in and out of sports about how feasible it is to return, what we think about it, and just really like kind of just trying to gauge what's going on day by day as the situation evolves. So John, thank you again. And Oh, one more thing. One more thing. So John, (laughs) damn it. Um, This is a tradition that we, I started on season one that I wanted to bring to season two. If there's, if there's one thing that you learned from, let's say working in this bubble, because in season one, it was like, you know, the podcast was more of an interview series. We really just talked to people and we were like, if there was one piece of advice you could give to your 16 year old self before embarking on this journey, what would it be? But I feel like now it's, if there's one thing and John, this is for you, not, not for anyone else, obviously there's only three of us here. Um, If there's one thing or like one lesson that you've learned from working, you know, getting this job, all the uncertainty, doing the bubble, the bubble bursting. And now you being here with us still as a, full-time equipment manager at 20 years old. One key lesson that you've learned from working through all this that like you think you'll carry on with you through the rest of your career, whatever you end up doing. That nothing goes as, like you can prepare all you want, but nothing is ever going to go as planned. Uh, and that goes back to me saying how the, the countless hours of me stressing out over, you know, all the worst case scenarios and then them never happening. Or me in high school looking, applying to colleges based off me wanting to go in as a civil engineering major. You know, nothing you can prepare all you want. Nothing's ever going to go as planned. And it's all about just riding that wave and, and, and seeing where it takes. And it'll take you to great places. That's a beautiful message. That's and so a great true. note to end on. John, great. thank you for doing this. And uh, we'll see you guys on episode three next week. Thanks.